welcome to another episode of Breaking Inertia. On today's episode, I have a person who earned a place to go to Queen's University to study law, but instead, he chose a career path to lead him to winning the National Chef of the Year Award in 2017, and he's the only Irish chef to do so. We talk about his early career and who he's learned from, the cooking techniques, and now his solo journey of him opening his own restaurant. We also talk about his favourite restaurants across Northern Ireland. We begin the show with his affiliation, the farm quality assured beef and lamb, which I'm sure you've seen James play a big role in promoting on TV. I hope you enjoy the show, and here's Dungannon's very own James Devine. James, okay. so can you tell people a little bit about that and how you got involved and in, in stuff? Yeah, of course. Uh, first, I'd just like to say thanks very much for having me on, Seamus. Uh, I've listened to some of your podcasts back, obviously, since we touched base. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm in pretty good company. Good. And I hope this makes for an interesting chat because the ones I've listened to have been very entertaining and engaging. And I'll try and keep this as uh, guest relatable and as accessible as possible. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. Um, but with, um, so yeah, I've kind of appeared on, on screens lately with um, uh, the Beef and Lamb NA, and uh, I, I kind of got lucky with them approaching me, basically, with uh, COVID, kind of done me a favour, I think, mm-hmm. in the sense that they possibly wanted to get maybe somebody a bit more operational. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I think with the, uh, the times being what they were and trying to keep everything at the time we filmed, it had to be a small crew, a small production. I like not coming from that kind of background, not I've done some TV, done some film, but never really been taken on as a face or a presenter. Yes. So I had no, there was no list of demands or no writer. There was no anything. Uh-huh. So when they kind of came to me and were like, look, we have this small crew and they're almost apologizing straight away. But I was like, God, guys, look, very happy to do anything like this is great it was during like the early stages of lockdown number one uh probably in the middle of the summer so it was just great for me to get out of the house to get doing something different yes and uh, working with the farm quality assured is obviously something any chef would be quite passionate about we do uh, rely on like these standards and procedures for everything to be traceable for there to be accountability in the supply chain between farmers become from it going from farmers to manufacturers packaging and then into supermarkets coming into restaurants like that accountability that traceability it is it's necessary it's essential you can kind of if you go back like 10 20 years there's been like a crisis like number between foot and mouth between bse yeah so it's not that these are just glorified um kind of bodies that just exist because they're trying to make a penny here or there like these mm. like these standards are important they are imperative they keep everybody accountable they kind of again they just keep that link flowing smoothly so it was a no-brainer for any chef to be involved i was just the lucky one that got uh, got the call and from there it was very interesting like getting to work closer with them and what they do like they would kind of work with the livestock and meat com- like the lamb and beef um yeah. livestock commission and they would kind of own the Northern Ireland Farm Quality Assured Association also. 
I I'd always I, you hear these names like working in kitchens and yes, but you're never really that you've no you don't have a face to put to the logo as such, and yes. you don't know the work that goes in it, you don't know the people involved. So from just a very like personal level, it was good for me to touch base, put a face to these people, just seeing them to their world, um, which was great, mm-hmm. and then obviously. When you're then asked, like, again, it was one of them situations. There's a lot of different people, like, they would have hired a production company to put together a package. Production company gets in touch with me. Like, it was a whole new world. And as far as I could say, I'm used to going in that kitchen. You do your shift, you go yes. home. This was, again, over the phone. I didn't really understand that it was going to be an ad on TV as such. I kind of did, because there's been things. I just thought maybe out of a small part. And possibly I'd make some food, which would then be showcased. Yeah. I didn't really realize the extent I'd be involved. I think if I had of, I might have, I don't know if I would have turned it down because I just might have <laughs> been straight away being like, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I just, I remember like the, the first day showing up on set. And again, having this notion in my head, this is this small wee thing. A couple of people are going to see it. A couple of people are going to be involved. And just getting all ready. And of course, it was a 6 a.m. start time. Wouldn't be known for being much capable of doing anything at 6 a.m. And then just kind of, by the time I caught my breath and looked up and there was a full production crew, I think it might have been like 10, 15 people, like all all eyes on me. And it was almost like, right, did you learn your lines? And I kind of, I, I had, but I hadn't. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, it was like, okay, right, go. We'll, we'll do a couple of takes here. We'll see what happened. And like at that point, I was like, that's when it all kind of dawned on me. I was like, oh, right, this is actually quite a big thing. And uh, I'm quote unquote the star of this piece. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Hey, look, remember, you're qu- quite natural. I'm telling you, it, it looks really well. And it went on because uh, some of the stuff there you're cooking and stuff as well. It looks really tasty, looks really um, easily done. Like you make it look effortless. Obviously, you, it's, that's your trade. You're, you're supposed to do that. But. <laughs> But uh, uh, no, it was like everything's there online as well. So again, yeah. I, the production, everything, everything's to improve the, and uh, 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 say, put a face to that quality assured. Um, but was there anything that you um, learned that, uh, from the process of, like, and you were like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, you know, from, as they said, as they, uh, one of the quotes was from Farm to Fork, was there anything that you sort of learnt along the process of that? Well, again, because you hear, like, you'd, Farm to Fork, it's something as a chef, you would stand in the kitchen and you'd stand over that. And most, it's kind of different in terms of the supply chains. Uh, most chefs would deal with, like, a, a butcher, um, whereas the, Northern Ireland Farm Quality Assured would mainly deal, I guess, with that going to supermarkets. Right. So we do hear, we do hear all them, like the farm to fork, uh, but we're, we're more, like it would be normal for a chef to deal directly with the farmer who then deals directly with a specific butcher. So we hear all that quite a lot. So it's not that that was anything new. Right. But uh, like then, like I'm, I'm not in the kitchen every minute of the day. I'm still like, I still go to the supermarket. I still pick up uh, different packages of beef. And I, I always would have picked up if I would have saw the label, but I never really, I guess, had much of a background about it or knew exactly the, like how strict it was or how vetted it was. Mm-hmm. I Part of me did think at, at times, probably naively, like 
it's not as strict as it should be or whatever. Right. But being involved with the, the association, you do see that, that this actually does go straight to the farmers. You meet the farmers and they have, like, for them to be a member, they it's optional. Like, so it's voluntarily, they'll pay an annual fee in. But once they pay in, once they want to be a member and get that uh, seal of approval, they have like a long list of standards that they have to comply to. They would get checked by then an independent body, which would be hired by the Northern Ireland uh, Beef Association. So it's all, it is very strict. It's very, um, it's done without bias. If the farmers are found to not comply, they're given a chance to essentially pull their socks up, get in line. They'll get retested. If they fail on that one, then they'll get kicked out for that year and they'll be allowed to apply the following year. Right, okay. So there are, like, it is quite, like, so there's, again, like, before the campaign, I would have been, I might have looked at that being like, don't know, because supermarket meat, I would have always tried to avoid buying it, if I'm being completely honest. Right. Uh, but from that campaign, I know, like, I would be a big fan of Lidl myself in terms of, like, where would I shop? And, like, if somebody said, where can I get a nice, like, cut of beef and I wasn't recommending the butchers I think I've always thought little meat was good and that, that from cooking with the campaign mm-hmm. and part of that campaign was to like approach it that I was a consumer like not necessarily a right. chef so yes. all the produce that we cooked with for the videos are coming from supermarkets mm-hmm. like it would have been I guess easier for me to get like say perfectly 30 day dry aged meat from our suppliers we'd use in the restaurant but not not everybody can get that. So yeah. it wasn't really that reflective. So it was just better. And that the campaign did be like, look, can you go to the supermarket? Because that's where the people, that's where our demographic are going to be shopping. Mm-hmm. And it just made it, it, again, it made that whole process, I guess, more authentic and more true to the, the slogan they're, they're pushing and to their brand. Yeah. And again, obviously, with that logo, that the quality assures that that's a lot of vetting. That's a lot of. Does that affect the price of it and stuff as well? And obviously, then for the farmers, the more the more they're putting them, they they're obviously selling a better quality of beef. Or so I would think. Anyway, would that be the way it is? Or yeah, um, like yeah, def, definitely. Uh, like, and if you were to go yourself, and if you like, price compare, and you have like the the farm quality assured logo against a product without it. And again, you like the product. It's not compulsory. It is, um, it's voluntary. But yeah. the standards they hold are some of the highest in Europe. Like the rigors that they actually put through. So they're they're punching well above their weight in terms of like the quality of that beef is better. Like there are other awarding bodies say, for different parts of the UK, but the Northern Ireland Beef and Lamb, that like that seal of approval is as high, if not higher, as you know, it's as good. Yes. So that's a big part of it. I think like just going by like past experiences of like buying and cooking using meat from supermarkets. If you like, now and I have, I've bought the cheapest stuff. Like I'm not I don't want to sit here and be like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I only ever had free range organic and because <laughs> no, like that's not true. Like there has been times like I'm like, right, that's it's cheaper so you're like right well you know if i'm cooking for same mates i mightn't always i mightn't stress like what i would cook in the house i wouldn't hold to the same rigors or at least i didn't in the past i guess yeah but anytime you do buy cheap i think meat it's usually horrible like there's 
it's really bad. I don't want to throw any particular type of takeaway under the bus here, but like sometimes people will refer to like poor meat from a specific takeaways as oh that's cat or that's dog, and I would I would wholeheartedly say that's bollocks. There's no way that that happens. I don't think that would happen anywhere. But I think bad beef, lamb, chicken mm. would taste as bad as cat, dog. Yes. Like, I do like if it's like again it just goes back to like if you imagine like like animals kept in really tight to each other they're living in their own filth yeah. to them every process following on from that if there's never been one check or one balance like that's definitely going to reflect in the end product the end yeah. taste the, the way it feels like the water content yeah so, so I would put anytime you do have bad meat if you were to like, trace it back it wouldn't have the form quality seal of approval. It probably has like no seal of approval. It's yeah. probably had the least amount of checks. So at least by, I think you're giving yourself a, a chance, you know, buy with those labels or like, a, a, you know, Take spend that Things that I've noticed whenever I'm cooking as well, you mentioned the water and you mentioned like the, like, you can mention like the fat content you'll you're cooking beef and stuff and like you'll know like i'll even buy chicken and it just shrinks i've heard that water is injected to make these chicken breasts and stuff look bigger way bigger so that they're getting more money for it and stuff like that as well is that right yeah well that would happen like because still and again, I don't want to, at no point does I want to say anything that sounds like, oh, people do this. Because I <laughs> I do this too. You do, if you do see something, your eyes go right You're not going to shoot yourself in the foot here. Right? <laughs> get under some lawsuit or something. No, but I don't want it to be like, oh God, like, I'm not the perfect shopper. And there's times yeah. I go, I just, especially now, because you go into a grocery store or supermarket, you know, it's at speed. You need to get in and out because <laughs> you're in there yes. too long. You yeah. know, the the stigma is now you're, you're going to die. <laughs> so you need to get get in, get out. <laughs> or know, buy, get your essentials, don't get COVID, get out. Yes. So that you're whizzing around. So it's only normal that if you see something, you're like, God, look at the size of that. that that's great. That's awesome. You take that. So that whole mm. idea of you buy with your eyes, you eat with your eyes, that's definitely true. And it, it's really unfortunate. And there's nothing worse than like, when you buy like, whether it's chicken, beef, lamb, pork, but th- there are just, whether they've been pumped with water or not, um, all, all meat, and again, with like our cells, plants, everything, everything is like, it's like 70% plus water. Like everything has yes, I get you. like a mat of water content. And yeah. the better, um, like I said, like the better suppliers of meat and proteins, like they understand that there is a process where that water just has to come out of the product. It has to be, it has to dry yeah. out. Yeah. And at no matter what stage they're doing it with, another unfortunate thing again with buying in supermarkets, anything going in the plastic. So if something's went through a process of drying out, as soon as you put it in the any sort of sealed plastic, you almost undo all the good work, which is just an unfortunate consequence. But that's the kind of the world we live in. If you could buy, like again, if you go to the butchers, and we're kind of getting back to that of going and buying something across the counter, like mm-hmm. buying what you need, and it's wrapped in like the brown paper, the traditional like uh, butcher's paper. Like that's far better, not only for environment and everything, but it's better for the protein itself because like, it's it's not being wrapped in plastic, it's not sweating. That plastic almost uh, will start 
will create more water as opposed yes. to if it's just sitting out exposed, it's drying, that, that moisture is coming out of it. Uh-huh. And you're going to have less. Like you can, if you buy a hen, if you were to buy something from the supermarket and it wasn't necessarily uh, like top grade, and you were to take it out of the plastic straight away and set it in your fridge on some kitchen paper, like that will pull out some of the moisture and it'll lead to you having a better product. But it is imperative like, like to, like with any proteins in your coconut, is to do some sort of process to remove that moisture. Otherwise, you will taste that. Aye. And it does just taste like if you're making a curry with chicken or whatever, it, it, it ends up making it taste a bit like dirty water or dishwater because it just kind of comes yes. out, it leaks in, it dilutes the flavor down. And it, it's just an unfortunate uh, story yeah. we live in. Yeah. Um, has salt anything to do with this about retaining the water whenever you're using salt, whenever you're cooking and, and stuff like that? Or is that just, just for flavor? Well, salt's like the main part of salt is to enhance flavor and um like all chefs we would like anybody from the outside looking in probably say chefs use too much salt uh i would say we use just we use exactly the amount we need. <laughs> what do you need <laughs> um which depend again that'll come back to if it's a poor quality of meat it's gonna need more salt and right like, all the salt in the world won't make a poor bit of beef lamb chicken better yes but what it will do Salt will draw out moisture. So again, if you had a poor product and you were to salt it before you cooked, that would draw out some of the moisture. So you could pre-salt it. Uh-huh. That'll draw out some of the moisture. And it's not drawn out moisture as such. It's drawn out water. Uh, like that's where people get confused too. Like you don't want to... Like they're confusing. Oh, the meat's going to be really dry then. But you're not. Yeah. You're just pulling out unnecessary water that's not really adding anything to like your final dish. So yeah, like like salting in advance to do good. Salting at any point when cooking, like salt at the season at the start, season during, keep tasting, even season at the end. You'd be surprised how much any dish will take. Yeah. And it's usually like that's the thing you'll hear most some like any like on a say home cook. So I'll use my mum probably as the example. Like she might go through like a process of talk her through like making whatever the dish is. And she'd be like, oh, I made that and it just wasn't nice. And then I, if I happen to be there, I'd be like, well, let me try it. And she's only like maybe two tablespoons away of salt. Really? Of, of it being lovely. But she wouldn't add that because she's like, well, I don't want to add that much salt. So it's not good for, you know, your father's yes. heart. It's not good for this. It's not good for that. Uh-huh. But, you know, you're going to, you get excess salt in all these other foods you kind of eat. So maybe cut down on them, put it in the stuff you actually, if you physically can save. Yeah. That's um, that's a good. Uh, uh. So what I'd be a big advocate, like if you, if anybody you feel like oh god this just it's it's lacking something, it's usually salt. That's typically what it is. Right. So like don't be afraid of that. Right. Okay. That's a good wee tip for us. Um, there's a couple of things I want to do now. Like you are mentioning like the dishes that you do cook. We can go on to those and maybe some of your favorite dishes. Okay. And then I, then I want to go back to where it all started for you because. Okay. It, the, the story is it takes a very strange turn of events whenever well, you whenever you're going to university so I want to know more about that okay. um, so yeah you what would be your favorite dishes like that you would like to cook and stuff to cook and eat yes um I get this is one of these questions Seamus if I've said this is like if I 
meet like an auntie or an uncle that I haven't seen and they ask me this and I'd be so irritated. Change it in a way so that, uh, so um, that you can enjoy the question a wee bit more. You can... I get it's it is different um, in terms of food that I like to cook myself, like mm. for myself. So for me yeah. and my fiance Christine, uh, Christine turned vegetarian maybe eighteen months ago now, mm. which is funny being the face of Northern yeah. Ireland quality assured beef and lamb. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so a lot of the food we would cook in here would be it would be like like plant based, and uh, and that's kind of for convenience so i'll try and answer this question in stages if we're cooking in the house it's usually kind of batch cooking and it's uh, again it's for ease so if i will prefer to take maybe one or two days and cook quite a few dishes yeah and we would we'd tub them up and then so we can take them out of the freezer and eat them as we go typically again recent times you don't really have a routine or a pattern anymore yeah but uh, in normal times, we both would be quite busy. So that would be, uh, um, that would kind of be the norm. And dishes that kind of suit that style of cooking would be like, like curries or stews or like quite like wet dishes, I guess. Yeah. It would be, we do it to try and stay healthy. So we try and, we're both on the Slimming World and we try and like not eat uh, like, well, I, I, Christine's in Slimming World. I uh, pretend to be in Slimming World, I guess. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm in Slimming World and do it really badly, whatever I can look at it. Um, so I, I eat all the stuff you're allowed and then all the stuff you're not allowed, I guess. <laughs> uh, but she does it really well. So I'll try and um, avoid like fat and oil. And uh, again, like, for herself, like it's uh, meat. For a chef, that like, must be really strange, though. To avoid the oils and the fats and, and stuff, um, you know, for, especially cooking at home. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's we haven't been doing it very long. So we've been doing slimmers, I think, four to five months. Uh, again, I don't like saying I do it because I'm doing it really badly, would be the yeah. accurate way. Yeah, it, it is an adjustment, I guess. Uh, I, I do miss cooking with oil. That's why I love them when I'm when I'm working and we have a good laugh. Because a couple of us in the kitchen, we try and again because our partners or fiancés are involved in Slimming World, <laughs> so we're, we're all kind of in the same boat, which makes it a wee bit easier. But uh, we have a good laugh that when we actually get to cook for customers, it's great because we get to cook with oil, so we feel yes. like we're cooking properly again. Um, but so again, like if we are cooking in the house, it's usually something tasty, like. And that's always like quite flavor heavy. So there'll be lots of vegetables. Everybody would kind of, and maybe give me a bit of abuse because most uh, things that I tend to make involve using lots of fresh ginger, like right. everything. So it'll always like, a, a, I find it very hard to make anything in the house without putting a load of ginger in it. Why? I, just, I, I just really like it. I think it's like tasty. I think it makes everything like just a wee bit nicer. Whereas I wouldn't put it in, like an Irish stew or something, but I would put it in, like, if we're making curries, there'll be lots of ginger. If we're making some sort of like bolognese type thing, be lots of ginger. Hmm. But again, Christine, not the biggest fan in terms of uh, ginger, as much as I am at least. Um, so I've had a cut back in that a wee bit as well, which has probably been the hardest adjustment. So no oil, no ginger, no meat. It's no crack, really, at the moment. No. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, no life, man. Uh, um... My life's hard enough right now. Uh, but uh, 
if again that would be like handiness sake in terms of eating what i do really like to cook it's just kind of quite the like nice tasty food like i love uh like uh, total country love potatoes love all yes. things potatoes love all things like i love uh meat red meat lamb chicken like love everything love fried yeah. chicken yes uh, like i don't like probably guilty pleasure uh would be like a subway in terms like in terms of takeaways we don't yeah. really eat any takeaways but i would eat like subway probably twice a month yes um when well, i get yeah sorry no i'm sorry because i because you can't um have all this flavoring and stuff i want you to tell us how we should be doing it at home because there's nothing as bad as um, eating bland, repetitive food. And you know, you're cooking bats food and stuff. I think it'd be mm. a really good idea to kind of give a wee bit of insight of how mm. you do that and maybe flavor that food to what spices to buy, what herbs to yeah. buy to kind of really make your food more enjoyable. Yeah, well, I think uh, definitely, as we touched on earlier, like add salt. Don't be afraid that, to add salt. Uh, I'm trying to see now sea salt. There's 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 loads of salt. There's sea salt, Himalayan salt. There's what salt? Yeah, that's true. And (laughs) well, I would my the the advice I would give would be yeah, buy a good quality salt. Buy good quality. Like I think most chefs would favor. It's a salt called Malden sea salt. It's almost like salt crisps. Right. So it's like flakes. Um, that for me tastes like like I can't stand like. Like I don't like saying like cheap salt, but the cheaper salt, table salt um, and stuff. I like would a... just use that for maybe de-icing the the patio or something, <laughs> or like or scrubbing under the sink. I swear to God, like I think it's terrible. If I I just not have that, I prefer to eat bland food than have that. Maybe that's where people go wrong as well. Yeah, um, like that stuff's putrid. Um, it's really, really, it's just nasty. If, if I have that, the inside of my mouth just feels raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of seems to attack every ulcer or crevice or and it's just even the feel of it if you go somewhere if you're in, <laughs> you're in somebody's house and even having to touch that salt i feel violated can't stand it so i would say start with like a malden oh. sea salt or something that you're milling like fresh like, like, like that himalayan sea salt good I'd say now it's just spend a bit of money on it. Um, you will use less because it's better quality. Yeah. I would be temp- tempted to say when cooking, put it in early and add a bit at the start. If you're boiling vegetables in water, like green vegetables, add a good bit of salt into the water. If you're making potatoes, add a good bit of salt into the water. In terms of how much, um, like dissolve the salt in the boiling water or with the potato water and uh, just put a spoon in and just taste it and keep putting salt in until you can taste salt in the water once you can taste salt then stop now you don't want it to be salty like the sea you don't want it to be like nasty but you don't want to be that but you want it to be like you want to be like oh there's salt in that water and if you can't taste the salt in that water add another bit and just keep doing that (laughs) right that that would be like when you're forward so when you're coming up through the ranks that would have been like just something you were told by a senior chef did you did you season it and you would have said yes <laughs> and uh, they would have just tasted it in front of you and be like no you didn't and so that you learned that way but that it makes complete sense yeah just just keep tasting it because right. otherwise 
imagine that it's in the kitchen and you might be making say a 60 liter of pot of potatoes and you still naively would have put the same amount of salt you would have <laughs> your mum putting in the, the pot of potatoes for a family of four yes. <laughs> and being like I did put salt in the water yeah. uh, so it's not a but economies of scale I guess but yeah so start with good quality salt I would recommend Malden sea salt in terms of getting the flavour in the dishes put salt in quite early try and get I think uh, coloring of vegetables will end up getting a lot more flavor i think of something like the best example that people can relate to is the caramelized onions you see at the burger vans when you yes. have the pop on it yes like for me that's the nicest smell uh, that evokes like, so like all the memories it, they're just tasty I, I still think now like a nice burger with the good caramelized onions is i'm like right that's yeah that's it like i don't need anything like uh, high-end or high-brow like that, I'd be very happy. And that would apply to if you're making a curry or whatever it is. I think one area people will fall down if they're making something, they chop all these vegetables, they throw them into the pot. The pot's not hot enough. Uh, the oil's not hot enough. And then what happens is all the water just comes out of this, all these vegetables, and then they start to stew. Yes. And then that water then goes into your curry or whatever you're eventually making. And you have that, what I kind of refer to as like a dirty water kind of type taste to yeah. your to your finished, like if it's a sauce, if it's a curry. Yeah. So I would recommend like fry your veg if you're making a big vegetable curry, if it is a curry. But this would apply to any sort of like wet type dish. If it's a curry, a stew, a bolognese, even have a frying pan and then a pot and fry like if it's carrots fry the carrots in a batch in the pan, get a real good color on them. Uh, you want loads and loads of steam at the start. When you put them into the pan, you want to hear that hiss, that crack. And you want to fry them until all the water is kind of evaporated and then you start to see color. So you'll kind of see a process. You'll see, you'll hear noise. You'll see nothing really happening. Then you'll have lots of steam. That's all the water coming out of the carrots. That process has to finish before you get the color. Once you get the color, then put it maybe into like your master pot, we'll call it, right. and do that in batches. So if you went, if it was a bolognese and you were adding, say, carrots, onions, garlic, celery, do them in stages, put them into your pot, and then cook from there rather than throwing everything into yes. this pot. Obviously, look, every house is kind of different. We just moved into a new house, but our cookers, it's by no means high end. So it takes a long time for things to heat up. And even at that, it's nowhere near the level like that a kitchen would be. Yeah. So things just take a bit of time. Um, and you just just let that water, like, you're essentially just frying or boiling it out. And do that before then you would add the spices. So it's all kind of about finishing one process before you start the next. Yeah. So it would be like, get your veg fried, get it colored, get the water removed, then add spice. In terms of spices, I, I don't think you can go wrong with like some of them just like nice simple like curry powders chili powders again don't add too much add that and then roast them off really well like get a bit of color on them i would add tomato puree to a lot of like any sort of wet or curry based dishes anything i'm gonna batch cook like staples for me would be like tomato puree your basic vegetables in terms of carrot celery garlic onions i would kind of have them in everything because yeah. I think they just they don't really detract from anything. If I didn't have a vegetarian in the house, I'd be saying add bacon to everything. <laughs> because I think that I think you get that level of salt, you get that nice saltiness yeah. from it. 
it's just another layer of seasoning. It kind of will stop anything being bland. Um, mushrooms, I think, are another great one, but they can be quite wet. And sometimes people have issues, especially if they cut them like, quite chunky and then they freeze them and they'll like hold a lot of water. So then when you thaw them, I eat them, you bite into them and you have this big kind of squidgy mouthful and you just get that, like, you bite down this like squishy water yeah. and that can be unpleasant. So again, that's all about going through the processes, like like literally get a real good heavy color and everything. Um, I would add lots of fresh herbs to it, like all, most things I would cook. So rosemary and thyme and sage, they'd kind of be known as like hard herbs. Yes. They're gonna, they're the type of herbs that take quite a lot of cooking. Um, so the difference between hard and soft, hard herbs you would cook, they can endure like long periods of cooking. You can boil them in a slow like cooker, bake oven, them, roast them. roast them, roast potatoes, stuff like that. Yeah. And then you'd have soft herbs, which would include everything else from like dill, chives, targan, and parsley. They, if you were to cook them, they kind of just they lose their nice green color. They'll kind of dilute in flavor as well. Right. Through the cooking. So you were to put them in at the very end, but I'd be a big fan of adding like loads of uh like in kitchens we would call the bouquet garni which i think in french is like pocket of flavor and that just ma- basically the easiest way is just take a bunch of thyme bunch of rosemary sage whatever you're using and just kind of roll them in a ball tie them tightly with some string mm-hmm. and just throw that into your stew at the very start and then then you can neatly lift it out at the end so like okay, they're not really out of that'd be the handiest way to do it or chop them like really fine but you'd have to almost chop them to like a fine powder. Otherwise, when you bite down on them, it would get stuck in your teeth because they don't really break down. Like they'll release all their flavor, but they'll still remain quite woody. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't say enough good things about just fresh green soft herbs at the end. I think they just add like lots of flavor. I personally love coriander, but I know that it's not everybody's cup of tea. That's one of the most divisive, uh, I think, uh, flavors uh, out there. And I don't think it's anybody's fault who doesn't like it. I think apparently it is genetic that uh, some people will taste, if they eat coriander, they'll taste soap. And the rest of us, we will taste coriander, which I, I find really nice. It's quite like, it's like lemony, kind of acidic, kind of yeah. quite like that Thai kind of spice to it. I just think it makes everything. But again, like Christine wouldn't like lots of it. Uh, I know my mum and dad, they would be in the We Hate Coriander Club. So no, I, I would try if I was if I was cooking for an audience, I kind of just keep coriander away. But the yeah. likes of like parsley, chives, I think they're very neutral, quite subtle. Mm-hmm. They make everything a bit more vibrant, a bit more like just colors always nice again. Um, they would be the main kind of flavor of things. I think like there's a lot to be said for finishing things, and this is a complete cheat. Uh, a little bit of red sauce and brown sauce at the end of something. <laughs> I can't way. believe you just said that. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, either that or Southwest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. That's me sack now from everywhere. <laughs> because it's all, like all them condiments are, they have that perfect balance for me of that kind of sweet and sour. Yeah. And, uh, and, and saltiness and just different things. I think for a lot of uh, dishes, if you can, uh, in terms of like what your like, taste receptors will pick up, you have like sweet, salty, savory, like, yep. bitterness, acidity. And if you can try and like tick a few of them different boxes, depending on what you're making, I think it just makes for a more interesting dish. Like it'll yeah. kind of make every mouthful a bit more enjoyable, stops it being bland. Like even things like um, 
can you can make it a lot nicer is like rice like i used to not be the biggest fan of rice i guess mm-hmm. but i always just was like well let's just you know like two mouthfuls in and then it's, it's kind of just the same yeah uh, but recently we've been eating loads of rice and again i've been like fran off like again because it's like vegetarian friendly um getting some like garlic ginger um and you can put hard herbs in there as well getting a bit of color in that yeah and then, like putting the rice in like raw giving that a good stir and then pouring your boiling water just like boil your kettle pour your water in on top of that and cook that out and then pass it up so you're just getting that wee layer of flavor there first you could add yes. spices in as well you're just lifting it it's still it's not really egg it's not fried rice so it's still kind of healthy healthier yes. i guess it's like partially fried um, or you, if you can, you, you don't have to use oil. You can just get a bit of color on the veg and the pan dry. Um, but just all them wee things along the way, just a little bit of, I guess it's just color or add it. As, I'd be a big fan. Add as much veg to everything as possible. Uh, I think that's where the flavor is. Would you ever use like coconut milk in your rice? We would de- we would use a lot of coconut milk when we're making curries. For your like curries, we, uh, for the sauce. But, like I have uh, had like a... In making rice, we yeah we have like a, in work we have like a, a rice cooker which we would use a lot for. We mainly use it a lot for staff tea, uh, which is just like when we would feed ourselves. And a lot of it, so the idea with the rice cooker is, and then you put in there, the rice will absorb it. And yeah, we have used coconut milk in the past, and that's it's a dream, like just really mm. that kind of nice sweet. It's just uh, different. Yes, it's, again, it just kind of keeps your rice a bit more interesting because uh. anything like that can. You know, I can, can just kind of drive repetitive. Ah, just delicious. make a really nice curry, and it's usually a 50 50 ratio if you're kind of batch cooking and tubbing up. Yeah, it almost just dilutes down the good work you've done. So, I would always say, you know, give the likes of that a bit of attention as well. Right now, two things I want you to tell me your secrets, right? Secret okay. formula, right? Your um, your steak, tell me how you mm-hmm. and your caramelized onions, tell me how you do them, and and uh, give me your secrets to them. I think with onions, you need uh, lots of time, like as in time as in not not the herb, time as in <laughs> right. that you watch by. Right? And they, need, they just need a bit of time. Uh, they need a lot of a lot of oil. Um, so they're not, I think the best ones aren't slimmers friendly, I would say uh, that. Uh, which oil? Like because you're using ripseed oil, olive oil, you know. I, I would be a bit a bit massive fan of rapeseed oil at the moment. I think, I think the the taste of it for me is really good. I think particularly because you can get like quality rapeseed oil grown here in Northern Ireland too. Yeah, which kind of makes it like all the more special for like chefs using it. So I would say that would be the oil when we're cooking with in work. We would use rapeseed oil. If I'm allowed to use oil in the house, it's rapeseed oil. Um, quite a good bit of oil. We slice the onion like super fine. Like get a good slice in that. Have your pan roasting hot onions okay. in. Get a real good sear, and again, make sure you go through that that process. Like, get all the uh, water out of them onions first, because they have lots and lots of water. Right. So fry that really well. Let all that like just steam off, and then just keep it cooking. The next process is gonna after you get all the moisture removed, and that's gonna take quite a bit of time. You need like quite a big surface area. Like, don't put like lots and lots of onions into this small small frying pan. Like, right. try and have a nice uh, like even like one layer of chopped onions mm-hmm. let that fry put some salt in at the start as well so the salt's gonna actually draw out some of that moisture it's gonna like flavor it and help pull out the the water which is gonna lead to a better color yeah and then just let that take over every sort of keep keep an eye on it but you don't have to watch it like an egg and <clears throat> um, give it a shake every now and again 
it, once it starts to color, it's, it's it's a bit like one of them things. Once it starts to color, it does then happen pretty fast. Right. This whole process started on, I'd say, a very high heat, then turn it down to like a almost a, a simmer until it's until it's ready to finish off. Then finish them with uh, a high blast of heat. Maybe add some butter, a good bit of salt and pepper. And I'd say that'd be it. You know, you could add some rosemary and thyme as well if you're feeling flush. But for me, I just think like salt, pepper, butter, oil, magic. Right. Uh, no, no honey or anything like that. Or is that just a? I, I, I don't think they need them. No, like that would be uh-huh. if I was doing something different, like uh, like a marmalade. Like I would, like, but again, that'll be a different uh, dish again. Uh, yes, um, yes. But just for like fried onions, like with a steak or with a burger, I'd be going. No, it's all about for me. It's all yes. about the color. And I'm not just getting that color, get that moisture out. Like if you wanted to be really particular, you could cut them the day before and salt them and kind of let them sit over a colander and let that water drip down. Then the next day when you go to fry them, they'll fry a lot quicker, they'll fry easier and they'll be tastier again as well. What do you think about 10, 15 minutes for that from start to finish? Once you put Again, them in the pan, it, will depend. it just like depends it, on the color. It will depend on the thing. But yeah, you want to be investing it at least, I'd say, 10 to 15 minutes, if not longer. Okay. And, if it, and like stop when they're like just like, again, that real deep golden brown. Right. Okay. Right. For the, what's the steak? steak. The steak. Well, everybody, everybody's like uh, cuts would be different. For me, my personal favorite, I probably prefer a sirloin. Yeah. Uh, if I was like, if it was like death row meals type steak uh, or maybe something like a, something with a bone on it I think any kind of meat with that cooked on the bones kind of special kind of flavour to it as yeah. well but we'll, we'll stick with sirloin for now um, I particularly I like fat on all like cuts of meat I think it's necessary I think even if you don't like eating the fat cook it with the fat on yeah. and take the fat off after the fat's going to keep that moisture. It's going to almost baste it in its own juices as you cook it. If I was uh, cooking, say, sirloins, I would... Don't put any oil in your pan. So have a dry pan for a start. Really? Have it really, really hot. Um, rub a small amount of oil into the flesh of the steak itself, but mm-hmm. like not lots. I'd be an advocate of putting... like fresh cracked black pepper on before you cook it yeah but no salt before you cook it i would say so we're going to put the salt on during and after but none on before i would also seal it fat side down first so it almost seal it so you almost have to hold it in the pan if that makes sense you're not putting it on one of like the main like larger surface area sides i'd uh, seal it in the dry pan mainly because we want to render the fat down so a lot of fat's going to come off that um that particular that that fatty side keep that fat but as it melts off the steak into the pan just tip it out into like another tray or a cup right keep that aside it's going to take about say three to five minutes probably to render the fat down but just carry on keep a bit of attention to that you want three to five on the fat side and then i'd say three to five each side depending on the thickness Uh take it off rest it for another like five to ten minutes the resting for me is probably the most important part and chefs right. will kind of tell you that um a lot of people that's kind of where people just don't i guess it's I don't know if they just don't want to they don't know why um resting is going to let 
uh, again, just all the kind of the juices kind of relax, let the meat relax. Mm-hmm. It's going to keep cooking that other wee bit. So it might come off and it might be like a wee bit under. Sometimes it might even go a wee bit over if you, like, I don't want to say if you fucked it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to say it. And if it was more than say, three to five, if you forgot about it. But that rest in time is going to actually improve it. It's just going to make it taste a bit better. Mm. When we say rest, you want to rest it somewhere warm, but not yeah. too warm that it's going to keep cooking loads. Yeah. Another reason people wouldn't rest is because, well, I'm not, I've cooked this steak. I'm gonna, now going to rest it and it's going to get cold. I don't want to eat cold steak. Yeah. But I would be like, rest it for like, usually the time it took you to cook it, rest it for about half of that, if not the same. So if it took you right. 10 minutes in total to cook it, rest it for at least five. Okay. That'd be time to say rest. In restaurants, because they're usually getting rested for as long as they've been cooking, typically. And then when you're ready to eat it, uh, I would recommend carving it. And at that point, once you've like, just carved it nice, like nice uh, even slices, at that point, season it with salt. Yes. And brush it with some of the rendered down fat that you've kept from it because that'll add a bit of flavor. Right. And it, it, it will be a wee bit cold. So at this point, just give it a quick flat. Keep your oven on. Put it in the oven on a tray for literally like another like 90 seconds. That's going to kick a bit of heat in it. If you have a grill, pop it under the grill. That'll get the heat blasted back in it. And then you're, you know, you've got the best of both worlds. You're, mm-hmm. It's been rested. It's like relaxed. It's seasoned. And now it's hot. Yes. Do you cut normally against the grain or is that just an old, does it matter what way you cut it for? I don't think there would be chat of that. Like that's the kind of like if you were like, uh, saying if you're with like a connoisseur or you're with a <laughs> guy, who does, you know, like hey, <laughs> you know, that, that's what he be at just to make it like, it just means when you pick it up and eat it, you're like the fibers are kind of going the right way. You're not biting against the fibers almost. Oh, I get like, you. Yes. So if, yes. If they're running like vertical, and your mouth's coming down or not vertical, just so they're not like opposing lines with your, you don't want them to be going, you want them almost be parallel with your teeth. Yes. Like that's the reasoning behind that when you're biting in this. But I don't think you're ever taking that big of a bite of anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think anything's ever that tough that you couldn't. <laughs> yes. You, you couldn't break the, if you know, if your mouth can't break the lines of a bit of meat, you shouldn't uh-huh. be. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be some of that. I wouldn't stress too much importance in that. I've, okay. seen, like I've, I've, I've cut it both ways in the past. I've seen different chefs do it. Yeah. I've never thought to myself, like you've ruined that now. That's yeah. absolutely <laughs> no, that's you've all that good work now. That's fucked now. It's yeah. just never really been a thing to be honest. That's all right. That's okay. I'm I'm happy with that. That's brilliant. I, I am pretty happy to go. I'm pretty confident to go try these caramelized onions and, oh, and yeah, steak yeah, now. Yeah. So I'll post sweet, yeah. <laughs> like what you can do, um if if it was something like I would be a, a fan of if you're you're usually making them things together, so I'd be yep. saying right, see, like color the steak first, and then use the same pan and the beef like rend- rendered down fat to do the onions. Right, I get you. Like yes, so you're reusing that. Yes, and you're getting that kind of beefy flavor into the onions, and then mm. even I'd say when your onions are done, because they'll be hot, put your steak on top of your warm onions. And then just set that somewhere, and the heat of those onions will heat your steak back up again. Right. But the, like the flavor from your steak is going to permeate into your onions. Your onions are going to permeate into your steak. Mm-hmm. You're going to have this lovely like mirage of the flavors. Yes. So I'd be a big fan of that. And then like I would try and practice that as much in the house 
again for just saving on space, saving on dishes. So that would be like probably another main tip, just trying to like, like if, if things are going to be served together, try and like use as much of their flavors to have yeah, each other. Yeah, I get you 100%. Um, that's cool. Um, venison's a wee bit more, would it be similar in that say, or is it different? If it's different, we'll kind of move on because. <laughs> um, like, well, I, it's more, I'd say it's more divisive in terms of like, your audience. And um, would you be a fan of it yourself? Well, I only reason because I've got a, a slice in the in the freezer, sorry. So yeah. that's 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 the only reason why I'm asking. And did somebody bring it or no? I bought it and I bought it supermarket sort of, but yeah, just we were quite like in Tyrone, like we've like quite a large uh, there's like a lot of there's a lot of keen venison shooters and we've like quite a lot there's a large like venison pop. Um so it's it's like kinda of quite readily available here when it's in season. Mm. Um, I've had good relationships with like hunters in the past where they've where they do hunt it, prep it, and then bring it to the restaurant. Um, so I've I've always found it like a very interesting meat. I love it. Uh, for me, it's nicest when it's as rare as possible. So if you right. don't like, if you like something well done, it's just not the meat for you. Yeah. Um, cooked well done, it is. Uh, it's very very dry. It's a really lean meat. Mm-hmm. How do you take your steak, by the way? Is it a sort medium? of medium? Uh, no. Not so much medium. rare. Would would be? I, I turned my stomach one time uh, whenever I got medium rare. It was nearly too much. Yeah, too much blood and That's stuff. But understandable. That's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, then you might like even a medium venison. Like, look, that's completely like that's gonna be nice too. It's just because it's so lean. Like it is. It's a wild animal. It's out there. It's uh. It's constantly moving to avoid like predators it's constantly chasing yeah. looking food etc um so it's really good for you like really high in iron um i know joe rogan would say like he's a big elk uh advocate he's always pushing that in his podcast mm-hmm. and he would say that it's almost like not that it's like steroids but he feels like a good diet of that kind of yeah. gives you that that you feel like you're 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 more ready you, yes. you have almost the because it it's organic, really, as such. Uh-huh. Like a lot of the time, you don't see it as often in supermarkets, um, no. and that's usually because of the chain. Like again, it's like we have just we have people who just shoot it, kill it, prep it. So yeah. it's it's cutting out in terms of the ecosystem and farming and yeah. Like it's, it's it is a really like it's a very natural product. So that's why it's always quite a novelty, I think, for chefs to get to cook with it and then again eat it. Uh, typically, very little fat on it. The fats and any fat on it, if you do get some, is never really that tasty. It can be quite, uh, it's very quite gamey. Usually the fat will be. It's not for everybody. It's typically not for me. It's quite irony, almost virgin on quite livery, uh, but but quite interesting. Like there was one. For, have you ever had it yourself at all? No, this is the first time I'm going to be trying it. Sort of so, like because. Um, there's time I've had a lot like a lot obviously just like working with it and um I find it's it's quite hit and miss in the sense that I've had it in places and it's been no offense to anybody cooking it or the, the restaurant or the chef but it's just been I don't want to choose my words carefully but it's been fucking stinking like I'm going to say like effing stinking I mean it phys- like it actually smells like really bad like right. when it's sat down you're like this actually smells 
and like again, choosing my words, but it smells a bit like shit. Like it smells like dung. Right. And um, so because I would work closely with hunters, um, I did ask. I was like, look, why sometimes when I eat venison, is it the nicest thing I've ever had? And then why sometimes when it's put in front of me, the smell of it is so, so horrible. Yeah. And he, he was like, well, it's to do with like the rut and the mating season. And it's basically when like the male deer wants to attract the attention of the females, it will cover itself in its own urine, its own shit, its own everything. Right, right. It gets the testosterone really pumped up. And sometimes in the middle of all this, it then gets, like, it'll get shot and then supplied to a restaurant. But the meat has kind of soured because this deer has went through a process yeah. of really amping itself up. And as a consequence, the meat's kind of spoiled. But there's no really way of being sure of that until you actually have it in front of you. Yes. So unfortunately, just sometimes you can get a piece that I think has kind of spoiled a wee bit. Yeah. It's still completely consumable. It's not going to do any harm. It's not going to give you any food. Like, there's no concerns in that. Mm-hmm. But the taste is just very, like a wine connoisseur would say it's quite farmyardy. Yeah. But I think that's just a very posh way of saying shit. So I'm just giving you the <laughs> giving you the bog. Very the bog good. Kind of. So I hope the one piece you have in your freezer <laughs> is a nice piece. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Because if it if it smells or tastes like shit, it's going on the bun. <laughs> uh, I bear that in mind. It can be. It can just be quite. Uh, like I'm probably being quite harsh when I say shit, but. I know if I was out somewhere and if Christine was with me, she'd probably look across and be like, God, that smells like shit. Maybe like, uh, yeah. comment on it. Uh, <laughs> um, it can just, it just can be quite intense. And okay. that is even more, and it's intensified if you were to cook it uh, longer. So if it's like well done, it's going to smell more intense. Okay. Right. If it's medium, it's going to smell. It's a wee bit like, I think it's like oily fish. If you're cooking like salmon in the house, I okay. think you can smell that throughout the whole house. And that's usually because the oils have kind of permeated through the whole house. Whereas if you add it raw uh, or in a salad or you like poached it and it was cooked, like say medium, medium well, and it didn't, the oils didn't release as much, it uh-huh. smelled half, half as bad. Yes. Good to know. Good to know. Yes, 100%. Um, I'm going to ask you now, the, the talk of food is starting to make me hungry, so I want to move on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, your career, you, I, as far as I'm, I did a bit of research. Now you got it. Did you get accepted into law? But then you decided to go um, in the direction of hospitality and so on. Yeah, um, I, this is one of these stories, and everybody always asks. And I, I wish there was like a profound. Uh, I don't know. I wish there was a better way of putting it, but uh, <laughs> I'll go through it. The in in in. The, the step by step it basically was probably laziness to be completely <laughs> honest if I'm being really honest with myself like um but it was like um like I had I'd done GCSEs I'd done A-levels I'd uh I'd moved schools between doing GCSEs to A-levels um the advice at that time and this is what like almost 15 20 years ago or so like um yeah. the advice then was to do law because it opened lots of doors like this was just the general i think careers teachers were spouting that out it was just like the buzzword or oh, do law it's pretty fail safe my sister yeah. 
who's two years older, she was given the same. And then like 10 years before that, my bro- the buzzwords then was get into IT because computers are the future. So yes. I think this was just the cycle. So it wasn't that I had this passion for law, but it was, you know, do law because it makes sense. Yeah. I had a real passion for like history. I think I still do still like be fascinated with like all things, like I love documentaries. Um, But that was like, again, career teachers were like, look, you, you like history what are you going to do with that? Um, you know, go go do law. It's pretty much the same thing. You, you argue both sides. <laughs> so th- it was just that that had been kind of fed into me. And I was like, right, okay. So I didn't really challenge it. And that was, uh, you're being told that from your like 15 right up to your 18. So you do, you, you do the, the subjects which would steer towards that. And you get the grades to get you in. And I had I don't think I'd ever really liked school. Like not, a, I don't think I could say like I, I ever liked the process of it. So as soon as I'd got my A-levels and I, I was finished and I'd got it, I got accepted the first uh, UCD in Dublin. So that was the plan to go do law there. Mm-hmm. And I think I might even got like some sort of basic scholarship as well. So they were going to cover a bit of it. And I was like, so it was quite a big deal. Like, yes. Um, but I think it was like maybe like a week or two weeks before it, I'd got a, a job working part time in Subway, like during the summer before it. And uh not that that had the big burnout, but I, I just liked that. Oh God, I'm I'm making a bit. I'm, I'm earning money. I felt independent. It felt nice. And then I was like, God, I'm gonna have to leave this to go, go do like a law degree. Yeah. And um, I just didn't want to. I just so I just was like, right, I'll just defer. So I did. The idea was I just kicked it down the road. I was like, I didn't know if I didn't want to do it the rest of my life. I didn't. I didn't know, but I just knew right then and there. So I just deferred, took a year out because that sounded trendy and again um it's like somebody else was taking a year so i was like oh that sounds good too <laughs> again i didn't have to make my own mind up and uh then the year like that, that year rolled around really fast uh in the middle of it i'd done a summer abroad in uh like one of them like camp america type yes. programs where so and i'm not um on that summer abroad worked in a kitchen doing dishes and uh so i really liked it too again like it was just nice and i, I like being in a kitchen and you wore sandals and it was a bit of crack and there was like it was it was different yeah and, and but while while away there had decided to not go to ucd but i was going to go to queens because my like my friends they were all they were moving into a different house in their second year of uni I'd been obviously up to visit them in the Holy Lands. I'd been a night out and uh, I, like, I'd never had a bad night out with them. So I was like, God, you know, I'm going like, to just enroll in Queen's do law there just so I can get to hang out with the boys. And that, that was the motivation. And that, that, was, that seemed to be the plan. They were got the house. They viewed it while I was over in the States. Um, it kind of worked out that I'd come home, I think, early September and would start in maybe like literally a matter of weeks. Yeah. But got home, I would got moved into the house, was all ready. And I, I, again, just that pang of like, I just don't want to, I just didn't yes. want to do. I don't, I, like looking back now, because sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, life would have been a lot easier if I had I just done it. Uh, but it was just, I think it was the idea of having to write an essay, the idea of having to read a book. I'm a terrible reader, like I hate reading. Like yeah. I like, I listen to a lot of books, but. So I, uh, again, I just was like, right, I didn't. At the same time, like, I think the rise of, like, celebrity chefs was kind of happening. Like, Jimmy Oliver was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon Ramsay was massive. So I've seen these boys on TV, 
and very naively and very like I don't know, like very stupidly was looking at that going like I can do that. And uh, like was seeing like had worked because I worked a wee bit in like the kitchen over in the States. So I was like, well, I kind of like I like the idea, like over there you got the wear flip-flops and sandals. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, it can't be that different over here. And like I think the week Mentor Star Queens just went and applied to a basic MBQ program in Belfast. And again, not with this massive passion, because it was this naivety that I could be Gordon or Jamie. And it was, again, the main focus was what can I do to make sure I get to still uh, live in Belfast with my right. friend so yeah. I can go out. <laughs> like that was the main, like again, that was the main focus. It wasn't that I was this like rail driven guy. Like I don't yeah. have any uh, like romantic memories of making soda bread with my gran. Or making, <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have any of that. Like I don't, yes. and I don't even have like a, God, you must have been passionate about cooking from an early age I was like no I don't think I really cooked until I was like 18 or 19 like I, my mum would have cooked everything and so it was just something I was like right what it was just like right what can I do to stay up in Belfast and I didn't really take the course that seriously like I would have enjoyed going out with the boys their like schedules would have been different I don't want to say easier but like they're they might have had nine hours a week in class I was meant to be in class 30 five hours a week or something right so every time I went you'd be hung over from the night before I didn't really like I, I didn't really take it that seriously yeah um what was funnier again was like I was 19 20 or 19 coming 20 and everybody in the catering course was say 15 16 which was normal like that was you kind of done your GCSEs and then you went into catering if that's the line you were going so it was, it was just quite weird. Like you were the oldest kid there and uh, everybody was talking about how they couldn't wait to, like they were old enough to buy cigarettes or get their drink <laughs> or go for a drink. Or go on and a just, drink, eh? And you're sitting there sweating out the night before. <laughs> like, so like it was just very, uh, it was just different, um, I guess, in terms of, you just, you do hear these chefs that talk to it like a duck to water. Yeah, and, and I didn't like. I I was terrible. Like all the and all these kids, like uh, they were. I, don't, I shouldn't call them kids because they're only like three or four years younger, but they were actually like far far better than I was. Like I mean, streaks ahead. Like like I couldn't really because I had no exposure to it. Really, I just wasn't that way inclined in terms of thinking about stuff. Like this mm-hmm. was very practical. I'd come from uh, like you know, like doing A levels. So like, books didn't really matter anymore. It was all about right, what can you physically do? How can you practically organize yourself? Uh, how's your time management? Um, Clean up after yourself. So that took like, that was quite a long, um, I suppose, learning curve for that. And it, it probably took, like I would say, like five years before I would put my hands up and say, right, you're not useless. I would have been like for the first time, first five years, I would have been like, like if, if I... If so, saying if somebody like me came in the kitchen now, I was in as a senior, I wouldn't call myself a donkey, but I'd certainly think, Jesus Christ, who the fuck let this get? Because <laughs> uh, it just was uh, quite, uh, I was I was just quite rough around the edges. And it took, it took um, I suppose, some very good tutors to kind of see like a spark that I didn't really see or appreciate myself. Yeah. So I was very lucky in Belfast. I had some great, um, great lectures. And one in particular, we got on really well because a bit like, whereas I was older, 
than all the students. He was younger than all his uh, co-workers. So say I was like 20, he might have been in his like mid-20s. He just started. He just got his, a job. He'd come out of restaurants and got a job as a full-time lecturer. So we actually had more in common with each other. So we could kind of, he could talk to me about, do you want to go to the pub? We'll get a beer. We'll, <laughs> chat, about, we'll chat about how the lesson went, you know, you were struggling there. Or, yeah. you know, why did you get into catering? And you could go with like, oh, well, we'll go talk about over a pint. So that kind of became like a good foundation for like a good friendship and a good mentor. And um, one second. I think I'd been there. I'd been in like Belfast College maybe like six months. Yeah. And um, I had struck up this good relationship with himself. With, he's called Thomas Turley. And still, still, still a lecturer now. And he um, was chatting to me about what's it's called IFEX. And it's basically like a Northern Ireland catering kind of exhibition where there's different cooking competitions and uh, like stalls and events. And so it happens every other year in the North and then every other year in the South, but it's kind of linked. Yes. But it, 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 he, he said to me, look, we'll have these cooking competitions. The college enters students every year to do it. I'd like to enter you into one. And I remember being quite shocked because there was better students in my class. And I, like, and I said, great, well, it's, it's felt a bit weird. But then the penny dropped. He was like, well, basically... You look quite old because uh, I was the only student with a beard. And he was like, you look quite old, so we can actually enter you in the senior competition. We can't enter you in the junior one because we've got actually good junior chefs here <laughs> that can do it. <laughs> but you could, do a sen- you could do a senior one. How do you feel about that? Nah, like, I didn't know any different. Yeah. So I was very, very happy to do it, very happy to be part of it. And uh, with that um, experience came, he would have talked me, you would have, so the competition I done was like a fish-based competition. And that you in in college, I guess, like you don't really work. You might uh, practice a dish once. So like if you're a student, you go and you cook this particular dish once, and then that's it. It's up to you to kind of do it over and over in your spare time or go work in a restaurant where you would re- repeat that dish. Yeah. But with something like a cooking competition, it's very repetitive. It's quite, there's a lot of intense practice that you, they usually last 30 minutes long, but you might practice that one dish like 10, 10 plus times to kind of get an, a handle on it. But from doing that, you kind of learn time management. You learn how to get yourself ready. You learn again, the how to cook that dish. You learn that for me, it was filleting the fish, um, the, all the different garnishes with it. So it was a real like catalyst, like a real, like, like almost like a click for me, where yeah. you'd went from, you kind of were struggling. Um, you weren't really taking the course that seriously. You weren't sure if you were going to be a chef, because I didn't go into this with this grand notion that I'm going to be this really good chef, etc. It was I was very much like, let's give this course a year and see. But then this was just that like a light bulb moment where I was like, right, this is, this is great. Like I like that kind of thrill, that buzz where, God, I can cook this dish better than probably anybody else could cook this dish. Mm-hmm. And then the the competition rolled around, and it wasn't like a rocky kind of moment because I didn't win or anything or do that well. It went actually pretty bad, and I cut myself on stage. I got burnt my eyebrow. Uh, like the food itself, I remember tasting it, and I was like, God, that's pretty much inedible. Uh, so <laughs> it kind of was. Unfortunately, it didn't have like this fairy tale ending. But again, it still it lit that wee fire. Whereas like right. That was a bad experience, but a very informative and kind of like a good learning experience. Yes. 
and then it just and it kind of opened my eyes to this whole um like that com- competition kind of circuit and mm-hmm. like the different levels of chef and and whereas uh like you'd seen jamie on the tv you'd seen gordon but you hadn't really seen like or you not that you hadn't seen you hadn't looked for any of like the leading northern ireland kind of talent yeah and at that time there was like there was like four Michelin starred uh, chefs in Belfast. We had like you had Paul Rankin, Michael Dean, yes, uh, Robbie Miller, who unfortunately passed away, uh, and you had Barry Smith. And um, like so, then once you kind of done this, the the circuits, you seen these guys, and you saw okay, right? There's actually there's like a real high caliber of chef in this country, and that's when I was like, right, I want to be in conversation with those chefs. I want yeah. to, I want to get to that level. Uh, whether I have to work for those guys, work for people like them, build my way up. And then that's kind of what then began the pursuit of, right, I started to understand what fine dining was and what that kind of level of cooking was. And mm-hmm. uh, then started to kind of gear my uh, career towards that and kind of have this, I guess, this drive to not be the, the best chef, but just be a better chef, like be the best version of myself I could be and like, yes. like, learn that... I guess start to respect the trade, which I, I hadn't, I suppose, in those early few months. Like there was no like respect for the craft. I didn't yeah. really appreciate the, the the level of commitment. I I was just looking at very much from an outsider. Um, but that's when it all just kind of changed. Now it's like, right, this is where you, you gotta immerse yourself and um, take it a bit more seriously. Yes, you um, mentioned the the Michelin star. Uh, chefs there but were you the first chef to one wasn't it the national chef of the year was that yeah, you were the first the first one from northern ireland was it yeah i think first first one from ireland um first and only um, oh. i don't think there's been an irish chef to 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 win it um that was so it was 2017 yeah yeah um it um so the national chef of the year uh, it's based it's based in london um it's a competition open to everyone across the uk the idea is they'll open it i think the year i competed there's maybe like 200 entries and they'll whittle that there'll be a paper round and then they'll uh, have a 50 chef semi-final so they'll have like five different heats of 10 and then they'll whittle that down to 10 and then that 10 competes on a like a live cook-off as such mm-hmm. in London where you cook, you try and uh, push out a, a three-course meal for four people and they'll have like some of the, like they'll have the elite of the elite chefs there judging it. So like the year right. I was there, they, they, they might have had a combined like 40 Michelin stars between them in terms of like the judging, the judging panel. Okay, okay. And it's quite, you're under like a microscope in terms of like they're, they're right in your face it's a very intense like really good crowd like great buzz like um it was almost like i don't know playing to like a, a stadium as such yeah um i think from the research that i've done it sounded sort of similar to how you got into that it was like first uh, someone was trying to um push you forward to to get under what, what was the name of the chef that uh at the time i was working in uh in Dean's restaurant, uh, their Michelin star restaurant was called Epic. It's still, still, yes. still called Epic. Yes. And my head chef at the time was Danielle Barry. So That's Danny. right. That's um, right. I forgot the so, name. 
me and Danny been been friends for a long time, and uh, then she, she, I suppose as chefs go, um, probably the most in, influential in my career, and definitely would say I learned the most under her. And uh, yeah, it was it's like everything. Like I, she encouraged you. She gave you the nudge to go for that because you weren't kind of. Oh the, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and without her, I wouldn't have. Uh, I'd heard of the National Chef of the Year competition. I'd obviously I'd done by the time it rolled around. I'd done a couple of like a lot of regional um, uh, competitions here and done well. And at that stage, I'd been on um, like BBC Master Chef Professional, so I'd done I'd done a good bit. But I'd kind of there's part of me was a bit like right, that's en- enough of that. Um, and I was kind of happy enough to, to just work, I guess. I kind of yes, did feel yes. like I was maybe kind of like avoiding just doing a bit of graft. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was why I was like, I was very happy to be working for Danny because you were like, you, you were doing long hours and grafting, but you knew it was, uh, you knew it was for not so much for a good cause, but you knew you were developing and you were growing yourself. Yes. And she, I'd, I'd heard of National Chef of the Year. I'd seen like the winners in previous magazines. I'd seen that, like the caliber of the judges, but I didn't even really know how you entered. And she was, she just happened to just rock up one day. She was like, "Here, look at this. Entries are open. What do you think?" And I think just because there was a bit of time, I think at the time, like the restaurant, it was in a bit of its kind of quieter kind of season. Yeah, there was just an opportunity. I was like, "Well, you know what? It'll be a better, it'll be a better crack." That's kind of again how I looked at it. I was like, "Look, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll get a wee trip across the water. You know, the company will pay for it. It'll be a, it'll be a bit of something." Yeah, and it was a bit of a change. I was like, "This is fine." Like there was me, Danny, and then you get you need like an assistant, like a commie, it's called. And with this really great wee guy called Stuart, and I was like, "Fuck, sure, the three of us will have a fucking awesome thing." Uh, and that was like, like, but there was no real like, oh, we'll yeah. do, you know, there was a bit of action. We'll, we'll give it a lash. That yes. whole art mentality. Yes. yes. But a bit like everything, once I kind of put my teeth in it and you had to write a menu and I was like, mm. fuck, you know what? I'd read it and you had to design it. And I was like, this is fucking sharp. Like, this is, this is good. Like I, I nobody's going to have, uh, have thought where I'm thinking on this. And, uh, went over there was a semi-final and in Sheffield and again fucking thought it was the dog's bollocks uh this semi-final and uh didn't didn't get through <laughs> so right. from, from every semi-final they'll pick like a, a winner and they get an automatic uh you're automatically through and then they'll pick uh like six wild cards as such so they'll pick right. the six next highest scores um, but I got through, I think the, they told me that of like the next six, I was maybe like the last in. So I just squeaked in uh, and I was like, I was a wee bit better about it. I was like, you know, Jesus. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you were just delighted to get to get through because you were, the, the, the crack was still alive. So we were yeah. getting to go to the bar one more night. We were getting to go to London again. So I was like, yes, I get another wee trip. And like, if you got to the final... <laughs> You got like a, they called it a mentor day. So it meant like you got an X as well as the final. You got another way free day. <laughs> so I was like, this is great. <laughs> and then, uh, but it was once we, once I'd got to that point and you're given a brief and you're in a position where you're allowed to kind of practice what you're going to do and you get yeah. into that uh, training mentality. And like for, I think I had maybe like there was a, might have been four to six week period. 
where you, that's your time to prepare for it. Yeah. And uh, I did. Like, I just was relentless in terms of the preparation. Uh, like, any spare minute was geared towards, like, I think you had, it was like two hours to produce three courses for four people. Yes. So, like, I had, like, of, of that, of any working week, I would have made sure, like, I would have went in maybe before work and maybe done a two-hour run through, some nights staying after work, doing a two-hour, and then coming in and all your days off and doing maybe multiple two-hour run-throughs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, the, the run-through is part of it, the actual two-hour time, but, you know, your setups and other part of time, you're cleaning down. So, like, to do one we run is maybe, like, could be anything from six to eight hours plus. So it was a lot of time, but, like, yes. again, I, it was, like, very, very, very focused, very driven, and I loved it. Like, I, I still love, like, I think back, people are like, God, you know, that's an awful lot. Uh, like, I think I, I've smoked through about, there's a lot of, like, there's a graveyard of old girlfriends who probably fell by the uh. side because of any, like, competition, heavy practice, and me being like, no, like, you know, what are we doing this weekend? I'm like, I'm I'm training for this yes. <laughs> competition. And there's been a lot of competitions. Um, but that one, like, definitely, just because of the stakes, like even the like the chair of judges for the year I done it was Claire Smith, who's from like she's from County Antrim. Mm-hmm. But she knows she recently just won her third Michelin star. She has a restaurant in London. So she because there was even that connection, like you were like, right, well, you don't want to not that you would embarrass, well, you didn't want to embarrass yourself for a start. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't want to kind of embarrass her if there was any kind of like kind of we like Northern Ireland club in it together. We were yes. like, you just wanted to make sure. You give a real good account of yourself, and like of the ten finalists, like there was a, a very very strong guys. Um, most mm-hmm. guy, I think I was the only guy there who I was a, a sous chef. Everybody else might have been a head chef, and everybody wow. else had had a Michelin star. Um, like a lot of pedigree. Um, but for me, like I was part of. Like I thought I saw that as an advantage. Yes. Did they give you any feedback as to? why you picked and why you got the award or from your yeah well like the way the way they said like so they'll it's just a scoring system so every like they'll score the starter they'll score the main they score the dessert and they were like look across the board like you were like, i think i can't remember i think like the highest so the highest score they awarded that day was from my main course and then I think in terms of like say the starter, I think they said I was like the second or third highest right, the same okay. dessert. So you were yes. like, you know, you'd won the main, and then you you were that you were in the top three for the other two, and it's all about kind of consistency. Yeah. But they said like they did say, and it's not that I want to be talking shit about anybody else. They did say, and it does happen in other years. Most people fail to put up like three consistent dishes somebody might a lot of chefs will put up a really strong starter a really yes. strong main a really strong dessert some of them were able to put up two but one a third dish might let them down but they were like look for your three dishes you were you were there thereabouts for every for every course mm-hmm. and that they, they have said look that's usually like uh what separates the winners from the losers yes and um, like they had said look it was was a pretty clear decisive victory like nobody else was near you which was that's good, to hear. good to hear but i kind of feel like if you do do a competition where you're 
you're the only person from Northern Ireland. You're not really renowned as such. You don't, you're not a head chef. I think for you to win, you have to, uh, it has to be a very clear decision. I think if it's any, okay, if it's ever yes. close, and I've kind of learned that in the past, if it's in any way close, you don't, uh, you don't get the rub. Right. Um, so I had that in my head going in. Um, and that was part of like the process was right. Have that was part of my mindset was do three dishes that are yeah. all very don't like sound easy, but do three simple dishes that you know that even on your worst day, yeah. you're gonna be able to do them pretty good. Yes. And uh it seemed to be and there's plenty of fuck ups, like there's so many like people laugh, they're like, Well, did anything go wrong and it looked like everything was fine, and you're like, No, was it bollocks? <laughs> um, like, but I think on the day, like, uh, like our electric blue, and we I burnt a couple of things, and we done some oh, we like calamity yeah. and stuff. But you just you have to because you got through like it. Everything. You, you just well, you you. Uh, my mentality is usually just to act like everything's okay. <laughs> they kind of fake it because if they come over and you if they see you flustered, they kind of remember that. And um, mm. even I've even come full circle. I know like judge competitions, like for say junior chefs. And um, you do, if you see a chef like flustered, it stands out when you come to kind of mark. You're like, oh, well, he he wasn't in control. Um, because I think that's a big part yeah, of it. When yeah. you see like somebody who's quite quite confident and uh, they do just look like they've got their shit together. That, that yeah. You remember that? Yes. Um, sometimes you remember that as much as you remember the, how their food tasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, look, it was uh, definitely the pinnacle of my career. It was, um, it's, a, it's a very, it's a fond memory. It was a massive kind of scalp to get. And since then, um, just a lot of really good memories. It opened a lot yes. of, it gave me a lot of opportunities. Um, it, uh, it's quite an achievement deep. though. It's, it, you know, it is, it is the one for, I think Gordon Ramsay won it as well whenever yeah. he, whenever he uh, entered that competition. But th- one of the things you have mentioned there is kind of like the prep and the work and the, and I was a kitchen hand in New Zealand and I did maybe an eight hour shift. Now there were chefs there before me and after me, you know, um, the work, the grind and, them guys would have went out the back, a cup of coffee and a cigarette for their break, and they're stick thin. And I, they may be picking at stuff and their the the lifestyle, the industry. I mean, I know you yourself. You're looking to kind of change it in a way, make it more positive for the young people coming through. Um, can you do you want to touch on your experience and what you know uh, that work life balance or? Yeah, sure. What you experienced, and then what you're kind of doing to change that. Yeah. Um, but okay, I will. I will say that um, it's definitely. It, it seems to get better every year. Uh, the industry and it's um, it's changed probably drastically. Not probably. I don't like saying it's changed drastically since I got into it because I don't feel like I've been in it a lifetime. I've been yeah. like, like fifteen years. And there's been significant changes. Um, I think, like, first off, a lot of it, um, in terms of, like, the gruel and the grind, not that it's self-inflicted, but sometimes, certainly for me, um, coming up, and again, it was all about that kind of light bulb kind of moment in college where, for me, and I don't want to say anybody give me this impression, I thought that the, the harder you worked, the bigger payoff you would get in terms of 
the more you would develop as a chef, the more you would grow as a chef. So, and mm. for me, I couldn't see that happening unless you're willing to put in the 14 plus hour days. And that was, and, and on top of that, like working six, seven days. And there would have been a period where on your days off, I'd have been very happy to, I went, I worked in a butcher's for a wee bit, just doing a bit of like prepping on meat and just learning that wee bit of skill or working in another restaurant for free. I would have done that for a good bit on your day off again. Or just, it still would have been food focused. Even if you had a, had a down day, you might have like used that day to, to read books. I, for I think five years, uh, was doing like my part-time like foundation degree in culinary arts and getting yeah. all my certificates and teaching so i done that so it meant that it just was normal for me like that whole mindset of you didn't have a, d- a day off was like not really a thing like you would have like so that i just kind of grown into the industry that that was just the norm yeah so I, I do want like it's like that's part of it uh for me but like now with the benefit of hindsight um I do think it's important and because I, I, I'm a part-time lecturer now myself in the local college. Yes. I do think now that I have a job where like, currently um, we work four days on and we have three days off in normal times, of course. And uh, the shifts are kind of, the shifts can be long, but they're like, not grueling, not the same grind as such. And with the benefit of hindsight, you'd like to be able to tell yourself a few things, but I can't do that, but what I would try and encourage students is to maybe um, manage uh, like their own expectations and their own like their own like their own mind, their own wellness. I guess which which I didn't do. Like you would have just just worked, and you would have worked with this like invisible or non-existent end in sight, where you were like, okay, this is all going to pay off one day. I'm going to be whatever, um, and that's I suppose that's kind of false. You kind of maybe now have to uh, look after yourself more from from day dot and uh, maybe put yourself uh, first and focus on maybe your own. Like there's a lot of like like mental. I don't want to say mental health issues in kitchens, but generally like chefs. There's a lot of chef burnout where um, yeah, you you do you just chase this like kind of rainbow, I guess, uh, which I was kind of doing as I like, look. This is all going to pay off. You're working. I don't know. It's like working, you know, work smarter, not harder. I was working harder, not smarter. Yeah. And uh, I think I would be trying to encourage students now to uh, make sure that they've got a good grounding and foundation of uh, like their own mind and be looking after themselves. Like just wee simple things. Like I didn't drink enough water early in my career. And uh, then you would have been wrecked all the time. And uh, again, like the crack, like it would have been normal to work your 12 hour day and then go out and have uh, a lot of drinks and then get up the next day and do it again. And you mm-hmm. repeated that. But I, I, don't get me wrong, I look back quite fondly of those days. <laughs> so I, I was be... wondering there, I was wondering there, how, if he's working all the time, how is he getting all these women? And of course you're going out after your work. <laughs> um, so, but that, that's why it's, like, there's a lot of, like it's a very like it is like it's a tremendously fun industry um because it's so I guess it's so on PC at times but I, I like for me I would look now just with a bit more maturity and now 
trying to open my own business and trying to, and thinking for the future and thinking right trying to strengthen this industry i think it's important to have like work-life balance yes but to have a better perception of the industry and have that uh, just a more professional kind of approach like it would be lovely for me the perfect balance of a kitchen would be somewhere where you felt like every day it was a bit of fun but uh, it was also quite professional like you took pride in like the, the uniform you were and you took pride in like you know your decisions and I think that maybe has to start a bit earlier in terms of like maybe what we're telling like kids in college and what we're trying to instill in the younger chefs and yeah. I think that that's something I kind of want to focus on moving forward whereas I didn't think about it before like I never I would have sorry no no because uh, I was going to say uh, develop that a wee bit more and how you're actually doing that but taking pride and obviously the appearance in the uniform is one thing but is there anything else that um, are you allowing them to kind of go right on your day off are you switching off from food or uh, go play the football or you know what what is it else what else outside of oh, the yeah. like, I mean yeah. I, again and I, I, I came in a position like I'm the very early stages of open on my own but I think it's important that for me I'm trying to like learn these principles myself so I yeah. would have been typically terrible at switching off so now I'm practicing that better and I'm trying to uh, again trying to set aside time for some like again very basic entry level like yoga and then maybe some meditation and trying to relax and switch off and know that right when you leave work work ends and when you're in work work begins uh, having more respect for people in terms of how you talk to them having better communication yes um like because i, I think there's not enough kind of conversations in kitchens like there can be a lot of uh it can be a very passive aggressive kind of environment. Yeah. Which I think is unfortunate. You do, not that it's different than other jobs, but you can spend a lot of time with other chefs. You can, you're almost like in the trenches in the foxhole. And uh, I think it would be, I would like to just have uh, some sort of procedures or structures where, I don't know where you're kind of maybe taking a bit of time in the day to just decompress with each other, or maybe that means that every part of the your working days would do like a mindful session together, or there is a bit of yoga. We have outside people coming in, like we have a just like an on-site person whose uh, job is to make sure we're looking after each other as such. Uh, whether yeah. that means, and that can filter through like so many levels, like in terms of you might work 12, 14 hours a day. And you, as, as you've just said about having a cigarette and a coffee and like eating, like for me that, like that can't happen. Like if I'm, if I'm to open a business and for it to be successful, like there needs to be not only a structure where if you're working that long, you get fed a couple of times a day, but I need to make sure that the food you're eating is like not only tasty, but it's nutritious. Yeah. So that, that like you're being looked after. I need to make sure that there's like water available. I need to make sure that I don't want this kind of culture coming in in the morning and like cracking open a red bull and like going out for a cigarette. Yeah. No, like I don't want to ruin anybody's young experience of going out on the piss after work because I done that when I was young, but maybe have a facilitation where, right, you're off this next morning. That's your night to go on the piss, but don't come in here unless you're 100%. <laughs> but make people want to buy into that. Like, yeah. Again, like you'd want to like, if I, I, 
I don't think I'd change it because I met some great people, made some good friends along the way. But you definitely, you could have worked a bit. I could have, if I could go back in time, I'd maybe go work in environments that maybe were a bit more professional. Um, because I, I just done what everybody else was doing. Like it was just yes. normal to go out to bars after. It was just normal. Like that was just fine. And it wasn't until like, I probably just got sick of having hangovers that I was like, no, that's, that's, that's enough. Or you worked somewhere where you had a drive, but when it was close, you were like, oh, this is great. Um, but yes. I, I would I would have liked to maybe gone somewhere where they had them like professional procedures in place and where you maybe, yeah, you kind of had that like, pride of uniform uh, instilled and like, not in a like, I don't know, like not in a strict military type way, but uh, more in a you you wanted to be there because I think sometimes like having that sweet balance in kitchens in Northern Ireland, I don't know if we're there yet. Like I don't want to tarnish every kitchen, but based on my experience within the industry in Northern Ireland, especially like you'll either have kitchens that are a bit of crack or kitchens that are quite strict. Yeah, but it's trying to find that sweet spot where that you feel like. Mind. You feel welcome, you feel safe, you feel confident. Um, like kitchens and cooking, it's kind of a confidence game. Like you're dealing in a very high pressurized situations. Um, it's not like we're not saving lives. Like I, I get really annoyed or irritated when I hear chefs try and like say that this is the hardest job in the world. Like we're not even cleaners in hospitals. Like we don't have the pressures that actual people with pressures have. Yeah. So I don't want that to come across. But we are in pressurized situations. Like that is true. Like, but we and we put that on ourselves or somebody mm. above us has put it on. Yes. A lot of the time with me, I would have put that pressure on myself. That's why I don't like maybe blaming the industry as such, because no, nobody told nobody told me to yep. relentlessly practice and train and do this and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would just be nice if uh, I think in general, if there was like just more, I don't know, awareness of like the effects and uh, just general uh, mental health. Well, you know. let's, I guess hopefully the work that you're doing in the in the college and, and with the students that it does come through and they do take that time to look after themselves a little bit more and then obviously if they are going out into the, the industry then they're going into places where they do have that middle ground. But you had mentioned there your own place as well. Um, so you've worked in some of the best restaurants um you're going to open up your own what have you well, it's not actually open yet is it oh god i wish because no, uh because of covid and stuff uh, well that, that hasn't helped Seamus. um yeah. but I, I don't think anything seems to be uh easy anymore no that um, gets like it's tough boys i'll tell you but uh no uh Myself and my family, we uh, like, acquired a property in, in uh, my hometown in Dungannon. And right. it was formerly, formerly a bar uh, called McGrath's Bar, um, owned by the McGrath family. And uh, it was my father that thought prop- it was a really good location. It is. It's, it's quite town central. It's, um, it's a perfect site for what I have been looking to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would be like quite like a modest kind of nice neighborhood kind of friendly bistro uh, quite accessible nothing uh, not fine dining or highbrow but certainly certainly good um like whatever i do it's imperative that it's uh 
uh, I don't sound better than the next guys, but it has to stand out. It has to mm-hmm. be something different. It has to be something I can be uh, very proud of. Uh, the food has to kind of show that. Um, because it's been a long kind of journey to this point. Like for yes. a long time, I've wanted my own place. Uh, I, I'd hoped it would have happened before now. Uh, it hasn't. That's fine. Um, it's not going to happen next week either. It could be next year before we actually get it over the line. But um, it's something I'm quite excited about, quite nervous about, again, making that jump from... It's a big... It's a, I guess it's a big shift from uh, working for in sure. kitchens, running kitchens, to like taking on undertaking that it is um it's going to be called mcgrath uh, which is the irish for my love so it's we're trying to keep that wee bit of connection to the past yes uh while moving forward so with old meets new which is quite excited about and it's to my mom's credit she came up with a name so she didn't teach me how to make soda bread which came up with a, great, <laughs> a great name in her defense um so no that it's look it's something it's a business that over time can grow and expand there's a lot of potential there for it yeah um like down the line there's space for it to have like rooms attached and a cookery school like these but these are all like bigger picture but that would be something like i like these are things i'm passionate about i think it's uh the idea like me and christine love traveling and going eating somewhere and staying yes, over yes yes so it's all i'm always like god like it's just a, a small nice bnb with like shit hot food really and then a cookery school i've always i've loved like i do like i like teaching i think what i dislike about it is sometimes um it can be quite uh, there's a lot of red tape or a bit of i don't know there's a lot of codes of practice uh, yes of whereas, course yeah. whereas cookery schools that have kind of done guest slots in and stuff um it's just again it's just it's a good night out it's a good night and it's just just dealing with people who want to learn how to make a couple of dishes and uh, they can do it while having a glass of wine yeah and on a night out i think i think it makes for like a great night out i enjoy uh being part of them i think the, the dungannon greater mid-ulster area doesn't have anything like that um, mm-hmm. i think it will go down really well again that's like part of a, a longer term plan yes but the space does facilitate something like that um, and something that I think is quite exciting. Sounds really good. Sounds really, really good. That's something that I, like, it's something different, you know, um, and it's a different experience. You go somewhere, as you said, you learn a couple of dishes, stay over, or but you're, you're selling a full experience there, you know, and something like that. That's, like, again, that's that's not, I don't know of anywhere else that's, it's doing that anyway. Um, yeah, something a bit uh, like again. Look, the fir- first, the, the first part is kind of getting like the, the restaurant going in some capacity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And look, now is a very uh, uncertain time. It's yeah. not. I I've been one of the luckier uh, side of people, I guess. Um, I I still have work, like I'm still working, uh, which I'm very fortunate. Mm-hmm. And me and Christine, we just moved into a new house, so like. It's probably actually we've been very fortunate to have the time, I guess, to kind yeah. of get because move. Everybody talks about how moving house is the most stressful thing. Um, at least we've had like, time to unpack and time to do DIY and yeah. all of that. So it's been it's been great. Um, so I don't want to be kind of banging the COVID drum either because uh, 
Well, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. That's okay. Uh, no, uh, I'll, I'll be excited to to hear whenever it's open and stuff and uh, and actually uh, try things out. You mentioned you go different places and yep. uh, you go and fire out some restaurants around uh, Northern Ireland or your favorite ones that you would say definitely go here and go mm-hmm. there because I have Google Maps and I have all these locations saved and um what i want to i want to try different ones hey what's on your list oh well let me just uh pick up my phone i know um i've been down there to buddy barnes and stuff um where do we see i go on to these saved ones um there's even some quite local ones here in the city the yeah. north uh, north street food and okay. i i haven't i haven't been there um a lot of walks and sightseeing. Where do we see? Uh, I'm going to have to... There's like 52 locations here. Oh. <laughs> but these is all, all different different ones. These is hikes and everything. Um, there's the Narrow Quarter Bistro Coffee House. That's 16 okay. miles away. Uh, the Pier Restaurant. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've been there. You're saying okay. I don't know if you've been to them. <laughs> I haven't been. I've been to very few. Is this like Derry City? Um, I think oh, these man. are long. Um, let me just click under this. To where exactly? Oh, that one is the Pier Restaurant is Port Salon. Okay. Yeah. Um, Letter Kenny direction. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we, 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 we like kind of getting the ladder cannery. There's a lovely place in Ladder County called the Lemon Tree. Heard of it, yes. It, it's really good. So the, the chefs in there are great. Uh, really nice guys, family run. Um, some uh, I'd say there's a couple of the best chefs in Northern Ireland are working in there. I would say, yeah, it's really a shit hot place. Uh, couldn't recommend it enough. Very good. Um, um, there's I think like uh, we are very lucky. Well, we're Dungannon, Belfast kind of area. Um, I love probably my favorite. I don't like saying favorite. One of my favorite uh, is a place called Wine and Brine, right? Which is run by Chris McGowan and his wife Davina. Um, it's in Moira. Um, so it's like set thirty minutes from where we are, and it's just really good, tasty food. They've got a, a Michelin bib gourmand, which means it pretty much in its crux means. Uh, great food, uh, good value. Very good. So that would I would say they're probably I don't know they're up there in terms of like Northern Ireland. They're really good. It's another place close to them in Hillsborough called Hara. Okay. So it's some tasty shit hot chefs in there. Belfast. We got a place. Have you heard of Yugo? Yugo. No. Yugo. It's like Asian kind of. Seems Asian implant, like Asian fusion kind of food, so they'll do like just different. Again, everyone's really tasty. They do some of the best dumplings I've ever had. Okay. Uh, some like uh, nice guys and really tasty. There's another place in the city called Bubba, which is like a Lebanese African kind of vibe, but again, just really tasty, really relaxed. Um, like some of the style of seating is it'll just be like a long kind of picnic bench. So you might be sat beside strangers, but it's very informal. It's just a good night out. It's tasty food. Yeah. I personally just like, I like somewhere where you can eat lots of different wee things. Yeah. So you can try lots of things. So I like to say Yugo or Bubba. 
that's kind of what they would specialize in. You know, you, you would order maybe six plates between two of you and then right. order, in my case, might order another six. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really good. Close to us here in Nagannon, uh, we have a place called the Brewer's House mm-hmm. in Donnachmore. It's just a nice, uh, really good uh, gastropub. It's run by uh, Kieran and Vicky McCausland. Nice, nice family-run place, doing really good things. Uh, we have a lovely coffee shop called Brew in Derry. I'm trying to think closer to you. Uh, Browns in town or Browns in They're town? really Brown, good, yes. Yes, and they're 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 reasonably priced too. I, I feel whenever I go there, I don't feel like it's like it's worth the money that you're paying. Yeah, so they're, they're good dudes. Uh, Harry Shack, you ever been down like in Port? Is it Port Stewart? No, the seafood no, shack? No, I haven't. No, all the... You could, you could do a, a walk as well. You're there. Yes, yes. Um, it's Is that... There's another one. The seafood shack. Is that just like the little... Uh, the wee shack on the beach. Yeah. Um, there's one... Uh, Kelly Beggs, is there one? Oh, yeah. Because funny. I would be in Kelly Beggs quite a lot. Yes. Uh, it's called... The it seafood the shack seafood as well. That, uh, that, that, that's buzzy. It's, uh, and then I have their own restaurant called the Boathouse. Right. So they they got their own premises. Now they still have the the shack. Um, it's it's tasty as yeah, it's nice. Yes. And then we love we love getting the Kelly bags. We kind of miss it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of places like uh, where I work in Hollywood. Uh, restaurant is called Noble N O B L E. So it's awesome. Couldn't recommend it enough. Okay. Um, it's run by uh, Saul and Pearson, just two really nice guys. Uh, we worked together for a long time in Dean's, and then they opened uh, Noble four years ago. And I followed them there, and um, just great guys doing, again, um, really nice food, uh, mm-hmm. good wine, and great service. So they're, they're doing great things. Um, shoe in Belfast, uh, really nice on the Lisbon Road. Okay. Uh, it's awesome. Um, and then we have like you've, the, the three Michelin star restaurants in the city are all awesome. Like you've got Ox, uh, Modelers Club, and a peak. Um, I've soft spot for Modelers Club because the head chef, he's another Dungana man. Right. So I, I just, you know, rep- represent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's the, he's Gareth McCahoy. So yeah, really, he got the star, uh, not, la- not recently, but the last year. Very and good. it was uh, it was just great. It's great for the city. It's great uh, when you see like Belfast is now kind of up there, uh, mm-hmm. certainly, and, and and it's growing. Um, like when I was in say in college in Belfast, in terms of your restaurant choices, who to go work for, it was yeah. kind of Michael Dean or Paul Rankin, and that was it. Uh, and it's probably going to get me in trouble in some circles, but but now there's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of choices like you could go work like there's at least if, if I was saying a student and that happens a lot they're like look where, where would you recommend to go work and again, like 10 years ago not that you struggled but you were like you, you kind of had to be uh, careful where you sent them because that can it can you know a, a student in the early stage can very quickly be like no this isn't for me because yes. they had a chef who just you know they had a chef who was having a bad day and they just reacted and uh, and look and I was that reactor for a large part of my career as well yeah but now um as somebody advising students where to go or even myself like you know where to go because you can pick up the phone ask these guys look I saw what you're doing there do you mind if I come in for a day and just brush up on that technique 
And it's great then for me and Christine, we have different places to go and eat, which mm-hmm. will, thank, well, hopefully we'll be allowed to go and eat again. Like that's <laughs> certainly what, that's, like that's what I'm missing. Like that's probably the only thing I'm missing, to be honest. Like I've yes. kind of adjusted pretty well to lockdown, but uh-huh. I do miss, I think I just miss eating, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's, that's because you're doing slimmer. Work. That's not because of lockdown. <laughs> oh, very good, man. I am going to take that list and I'm going to write every one of them down. I'm going to make it my mission to get around them all and 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 taste and taste those uh, uh, plates. Um, I've like we we have touched on so much there. Um, the industry. Uh, what you've done, where you're kind of kind of going with everything, opening your restaurant. Um, I don't know if there is there anything else you want to kind of mention or like. Um, I don't well for I, even I, like you have a message for the younger people. Uh, maybe finish off and sort of some sort of note to 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 leave them in a positive. I get, note well, for, I get, well, I probably just want to like. There's a lot of like. There's a lot of chefs doing like, really good work like great work and i think um they, they need to be like, not that i'm recognizing them but uh just give them a like, like there's a lot of people that i have been inspired by i guess yeah and uh, maybe just to give them a bit of time like um like we've talked about danny barry like i couldn't say enough uh good things about her in terms of what she's done for me for my career um what she's done i think for it probably gets underestimated what she's done maybe for like the Northern Ireland kind of like scene I guess yeah and you can see her like there's be like I suppose was it like imitation is the sincerest form of flattery or something like you can see mm-hmm. her style has been uh, let's say <laughs> adopted by many um, very good uh, which is testament to just uh, the hard work she kind of put in whereas she would have went across to England and like really honed in her craft and and brought brought a lot of like techniques, a lot of ideas back. And I think a lot of chefs like myself who have worked with her, you know, I'm like very grateful that she went across the water and put the hard time in because mm-hmm. it saved us a trip. Yes, if that makes sense. Uh, yes. But no, so she's just done she's done re- really good work for Northern Ireland. I think like Claire Smith who just won her. Our third Michelin star, uh, that's like, that's just massive. Like to win one Michelin star, but to, to get three is huge, and to come from the like, County Antrim, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, like, again, there's a lot of a lot of really top chefs in Northern Ireland. Um, I have a lot of time for Paula McIntyre, who would uh, who now would do a bit of, like radio presenting, TV presenting. Um, She's kind of a cookbook author, um, kind of food activist as such, um, would just be part of like the slow food movement. And she's just always pushing. Whereas, again, I got to be part of the Northern Ireland uh, Farm Quality Assured campaign. And that's kind of new to me. She's been kind of championing them causes from, from day dot before I even knew what they were. Yes. And uh, I just think that's like it's really important that you know, like she kind of she deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh-huh. Um, but then we'll have like the godfathers of like uh, Northern Ireland being like Michael Dean, Paul Rankin, Barry Smith. Without, I suppose, if I had like, I remember being in college and seeing like the the notice, the board, like because every college will have like their displays of the chefs when they do demos. 
and without kind of saying like what levels you could aspire to in this industry, I might have uh, kind of pursued it to the intensity that I did. And of them to think, I've, I've worked with the, most of the chefs from that notice board. Uh, any interactions I've had with them have been, I would say, pretty fantastic. Um, like, couldn't give any, any bad press. Um, I had a lot of respect from before I met them and worked with them. And having worked with them, I still have a lot of respect for each of them. Uh, I think they've pushed this industry very far forward. Mm-hmm. And without them, we wouldn't have what is uh, the strong kind of scene we have now. Like they kind of, they started with nothing. It's a lot easier now for like myself coming along because you have other places that they've almost set the blueprint. And yeah. I, I kind of being a bit like, well, this will work because these guys have done it and it works in that part of Northern Ireland. So I think that's important. Um, and then in the South, like, which I think... Um, the South are really like a wee bit ahead of the North in terms of like w- where they are. I think their kitchen culture is, uh, sorry, the culture is far, is maybe a wee bit stronger. They seem to just be a few steps ahead. And I think they have like the likes of their uh, leaders to thank for that. Uh, JP McMahon, McMahon in Galway uh, would be a great guy. He runs a place called, runs a, an event called Food on the Edge in Galway. Mm-hmm. Where he'll uh, invite uh, chefs from all around the world, and I've been to that event, um, and it, it's just it's just good that you have these people doing these things and like kind of highlighting the bounty that kind of Ireland has, because we are like a very like lush island, really. Like, and we have like great produce, great producers. Uh, we have got a good climate for growing certain things, and it's yeah. good that you have these people kind of highlighting it. Because again, it's something I probably wouldn't be aware of unless I had these people like kind of putting it in my face yes um like ross lewis in chapter one like just recently won like mentor uh, of the year for like the recent michelin guide brought out some new awards uh really good guy listened to some podcasts of him being on and just great for any young chef uh, i suppose if i'm just listening to me like they, these are people i'd be saying not listen to like i yeah. put my hands up and be like don't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> i haven't figured out yet i don't know if i will like uh, <laughs> uh dairy clark and black, black ravan uh in terms of just places like to eat or whatever good places there's a place actually in dundalk and it's called uh square restaurant and uh, we ate there when lockdown lifted for that wee bit me and christine got away for a night to eat there and that's the best food I've had in years um, so he's a young uh, chef called Connor Halpenny and I, I I would expect big things for that restaurant um, he's a, a real professional young man I mean he's I think I'm maybe almost 8 to 10 years his senior and I could learn an awful lot from that guy Period. and uh, yeah just a nice guy a real grafter um, he should be very proud of himself Um. But in terms of like, yeah, any young chefs, if if I could do it again, I'd maybe take some of the opportunities that were offered to me that I probably at the time was too scared to take. Yeah. Um, but again, that's easy being said. Um, look after yourself. You know, remember, like, give a bit of time for yourself. Don't be a dick. You know, that's 
That would be. That's good life advice there. Do it again. There's times I would stick, and uh, that's probably the biggest regret I would have. Like the 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 pockets where I was uh, just not a a nice person. Yeah, I think I'm a pretty I'm an all right one now, but uh, again, like because it could have been that environment and just that the at the time that's just how. Yeah, you normally you'll find it doesn't make the dick doesn't feel any better for being a dick. So um, yeah, uh, and that's probably just, but that's experience too. So that's uh, what I would yeah. say. But yeah. No. Awesome man. Look, I wish you all the best with your new home and the restaurant. And appreciate you taking the time to talk to me this last almost two hours. I'm <laughs> so, sorry, I'm not a bit too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thank you so much, and I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you very much, Seamus. It was a pleasure talking to you. Spot on, spot on. Right. Thank all you. Right.